Good evening. You know, we talked about last week how it's been 14 years, and I think everybody was happy about that. I know I am. Um, I hope you are. One of the things, though, that I've noticed that's a negative being here 14 years is it becomes a lot harder to come up with lessons and ideas without repeating yourself. And I'm sure you've noticed that on our Sunday night series, at the first of the year, I always like to do something that pertains to better Bible study. And so this year I thought, well, we'll talk about some of the more misused and abused pieces of Scripture in a way to hopefully help us to be better Bible students. But within that, you've also probably noticed that some of this is a repeat of some things that we've said in the past. I just, uh, I've talked about these passages at some point, and uh, I'm taking them and presenting them in maybe a fuller lesson. So hopefully you're you're gracious about that, and you're okay with hearing some of those things again, and I hope that it's helpful. That's the whole goal, is to help us to be better Bible students in discerning what the Word of God has to say. You know, it wasn't long ago that my wife and I were at an eating establishment, and we were, I guess you could say, not treated as valued customers. Maybe you've had that experience, where you feel more like a nuisance than a customer, and we were sitting there and feeling like we were annoying the waitress more than being a valued customer. And I looked on the wall, and there was a placard that uh, stated the restaurant's creed or motto, their mission statement. You've seen these? And it said something about how we value you as a customer and how you know, we want to show you love and respect and compassion. And I read that, and I thought, we got a problem, right? Now, I don't want to be too critical because if COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us that it's hard to find good help. Uh, also, I don't know what that waitress dealt with before she came to work. I always try to think about those things. If you don't get good service, you, you know, I try to think about what happened in her life before she got there. She may just be really bad at her job. I don't know. But, I mean, it could be that something tragic happened before she came in. So I try to give grace. But the truth of the matter is saying one thing and doing another it's not a problem relegated to the restaurant business. That's a human problem. It's a people problem. Saying one thing and doing something else is something that we can all relate to. And I can guarantee you to say one thing and do something else is as predictable as a 40 mile an hour wind in West Texas in April. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7. Let's begin reading in verse 24. Matthew 7 verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The story is told of a master carpenter who was getting ready to retire. He had put in a full career, and his contractor was, was upset because he was losing the, the best carpenter he had ever had. But the carpenter said, I, I, need, to, I need to be with my wife and enjoy some some quality time with her and just some peace and tranquility. And the contractor understood, but he said, would you do me a favor? 
would you build me one more house before you retire? And the master carpenter reluctantly agreed. He was really wanting to retire, but he felt like he owed the favor to his boss. So he built the house, but as he was building it, his heart just wasn't in it. In his mind, he was already retired. And so he cut corners, he used cheaper materials, and he just did an overall pretty crummy job. And at the end of it, he presented it to his boss, who gave him a key and said, this is your house. Thank you for all you've done. You know, it's important to have a quality home. We all want a well-built home. And Jesus says wise builders build structures that will hold up because they follow the divine blueprints. Our Lord presents two men. Both are builders. Both have the same desire. Both want to build a house that they can live in and that will withstand the elements. They wanted the same thing. They thought about the same thing. They were interested in the same thing. Their ideas on house building, at least on the surface, seem to be the same. And I think we can rightly conclude that both men basically build the same type of structure. And at this point, if you were to walk by and see the houses from the outside, you might assume that they're exactly the same. No distinct difference. However, the similarities cease when both are subjected to the same test. One was similar to the house of straw and sticks that the two pigs built. They got blown over by the big bad wolf. The other was like the one built of brick that the wolf huffed and puffed but couldn't blow it down. In the midst of rains and flooding, there was a difference between the two houses. What was the difference? And before you say the foundation, look closely at Jesus' words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. There is a distinct difference between the two houses, and yes, the foundation reveals the difference. However, it doesn't start with the foundation. It started with the blueprints. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, that's where it began with the divine blueprint. The foolish man didn't follow the blueprint. The foolish man doesn't have time for blueprints. The foolish man doesn't have time for listening to instruction because he believes he can do it himself. He doesn't have time for directions. I don't need the directions. Wives, you ever heard that from your husband? He doesn't have time for instruction because he is prideful. He is arrogant. He believes that he can, he can build the structure himself. Why listen to instruction? I got this, right? Instructions and blueprints are for people who don't know what they're doing. But on the other hand, you have the wise builder who listens to instruction. He knows what he doesn't know. And he's humble about that. And he understands that if he's going to get better, or if he's going to build a better structure, then he better pay attention to the one who knows better than him. And so he consults the architect. He looks at the blueprints. He, he goes by the specifications. Since the wise man is careful about doing things in the right way, he listens to instruction, and he is well aware of what he doesn't know. And some of you are wondering at this point if I forgot what the topic was. I haven't. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 19. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, 
ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. So what happens oftentimes is people will pluck verses 19 and 20 out of this context and apply them to interpersonal relationships. And look, this isn't fatal. This is not one of these verses that we talk about being used or misused or abused that we say, well, this is tragic and this is awful and this is terrible. We can see how it would apply to interpersonal relationships, but in the context, it doesn't really. You see, what happens so often is we take each segment, we break it down, we say a person should be quick to hear. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should be slow to speak. God gave you a tongue and he gave you a cage around it. We say that we should be slow to anger. Christians should have a long fuse. Insert New Testament passage talking about how we should be long-suffering. And so the primary takeaway from this passage is listen more, talk less, and settle down. And this exhortation, of course, applies to how we interact with other people, right? But wait a minute. Before we go plucking verses 19 and 20 out of context and making them stand alone, let's, let's consider everything that's going on around these two verses. Go back to the very beginning of the chapter. And what do you see? Look at verse 2 and following. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so James starts off by talking about trials. Trials, in this instance, is temptation. It's interesting because we often pluck these verses out of context as well and think they're talking about adversity, which, you know, again, that could be the case. But here in the context, it's talking about temptation being the trial. And being true to the context would mean that we view these trials as temptations and how we respond to the temptation makes all the difference, right? And so you look at verses 12 through 18, it goes on to say, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow in the exercise of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures so it's clear that the context leading up to verse 19 has to do with trials in the form of temptation and thus the testing of one's faith and it's within this context that we find this admonition to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But to whom is this directed? Well, many people assume it's just interpersonal relationships. It's between us as Christians. And yes, it could apply to that. But in the context, who is it really directed to? God. It's God that we need to be quick to hear, 
so to speak, and so to anger towards. Instead of opening your mouth, stop to hear what the Word of God is saying. Don't get angry with God. God doesn't tempt you. And don't be angry with other people when they try to confront you with the truth. Instead, be quick to hear, so to speak, and slow to anger. When I was coaching, occasionally I would have guys that were, I would de- uh, dub uncoachable. Kids that did not want to listen. They did not want to be coached. You tried to correct them, and they always had an excuse, or they always had a reason for why they didn't do what they were supposed to. One particular occasion, I had a young man who was a really, really good ball player, and, uh, but he had, a, he had a hitch in his swing, and if by hitch, I mean when the ball came across the plate, when he's getting ready to hit the ball, instead of taking his hands to the ball, he would drop them. Just that little hitch, dropped the hands before he swung, caused him to be late, especially when somebody's pitching 90 miles an hour. And we played in the state tournament one year, faced a kid that was throwing 90 miles an hour, and I knew that that was going to be a problem for him. So we talked about this, and he always had an excuse, I'm not doing that, or whatever. I mean, he always had some reason for why he had this hitch in his swing, but he would never fix it, he never correct it. And so I told him one day, as I was getting on to him about, here's what you need to do to fix it, I told him, look, this is not a conversation. We're not having a discussion here. You can either fix it or you can not play. And so he decided that he was not going to play, or I decided that. So he sat on the bench for a few games, and uh, I guess he didn't like that. And so he started listening. He came back, first time at bat, he hit a home run. And so we're driving home, and I'm driving the bus, and he comes up, and he sits in the seat behind me. And uh, very humbly, he says, Coach, uh, the bench is a good teacher. I said, yeah, it really is. He didn't like it one bit. That's the difference between the wise and the foolish builder. That's the difference between the hearer and the doer that James talks about. The hearer may listen to what the coach has to say, but he's got a better way of doing it. He knows more than the coach, right? The foolish builder says, yeah, I don't need instruction. I don't need coaching. The hearer says, I hear what the architect has to say, but I can do my own thing. The doer not only listens... The wise builder not only listens, but he puts it in action. He's humble enough to recognize that his way may not be the best way. He wants to do the best job possible. He wants to be the best that he can be. And so he listens to instruction. He listens to the one in charge and then tries to conform to the instruction. The story is told of a a very affluent lady that was at a museum observing all the pieces. And she came to one that she was looking at. You know, rather confused, she, she asked the curator to come over, and she said to the curator, she said, uh, what is the name of this piece? I find it crude and unappealing. And the curator looked at her and said, ma'am, that's a mirror. <laughs> what do you see when you look in the mirror? And I'm not talking about a mirror, per se, like you would think of. I'm talking about the mirror that is God's word. What do you see in the mirror? Are you just scanning superficially? Or are you looking intently to see what needs to change? That's what James is driving at. And I think that's what Jesus was driving at in the Sermon on the Mount. For the sake of beating a dead horse, what is it that I always say? It's not what you know, it's what you do with what you know. Who cares if you know the Bible like the back of your hand and that you can quote entire chapters of it? Maybe you've studied it, maybe you've, you've heard it being read aloud, but what are you doing with it? It's the translation that matters. 
It's not just about the information. It's about what you do with the information. If God or Jesus says something, then we should be all ears. And then we should be all arms and legs as we go out and we enact whatever it is that we have heard, seeking to carry out whatever the instruction is. That what, that's what it means to be an effectual doer, not merely a hearer. Discipleship is about listening to God, but it's also about doing His will. Plenty of people hear the Word. Plenty of people Listen to it. Plenty of people memorize it. Plenty of people can recite it on command, but do they live it? At some point, hearing must turn into doing. Head knowledge must be translated into heart action. Until that knowledge leaves your head and travels that 18 inches to your heart, it really doesn't mean anything. That's the big difference between the wise and foolish builder. The foolish builder listens but does nothing with what he hears. The wise builder takes the instruction, he listens to it, and he buries it deep inside of him and allows it to change the way that he lives. He is wise enough to know that there's someone wiser than him, and therefore he lets the voice of God be the loudest in his life. When it comes to building a better life, we cannot be fooled by the finished product. Some people have built a structure that is really nice, really beautiful. And people in the world admire the beauty of that structure. But it's built on sand. It's not going to stand. Because it's not based on anything stable. It's, it's shifting and it's moving all the time because they never, never dug deep enough to plant the piers of the bean. They, they never built it sturdy enough and so therefore it's destined to fall. The wise builder, though, takes time to build a proper structure because building is a serious undertaking. And if you want to do it right, it takes time. It takes energy. You know, by the world standards, some people have built a structure that seems stable and secure and very appealing. Others look at it and say, wow, how blessed they are. They're extremely impressed, maybe even jealous, but the truth of the matter is it's built on sand. Through the parable of the wise and foolish builders, which, by the way, we're going to get into this deeper this summer. We're going to do a series called Summer on the Mount, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount all summer. And we're going to look at this uh, Matthew chapter 7, this particular parable that Jesus uh, tells about the wise and foolish builder. We're going to look at it more in depth. But one thing, I'll give you a preview. What Jesus is doing with this parable is he is closing out the Sermon on the Mount. And everything that he has just said, he is summarizing it, and he is bringing it to a close, and he boils it all down with a question, basically. And that question being, what are you going to do with what I just said? Are you just going to hear it and go away and do your own thing? Because you can do that. You have that right. It's not going to work out well for you, but you can do that. Or are you going to take what you have heard and apply it and come and follow me? So are, are you going to go the extra mile? Are you going to turn the other cheek? Are you going to love your enemy? Are you going to respect the boundaries of marriage? Are you going to live by the Beatitudes? Are you going to do all these things? Because that's really what it boils down to. The, the Sermon on the Mount ends with Jesus saying, you've got a decision to make. You've got to decide. Are you going to follow the broad path or are you going to travel the narrow way? Are you going to come and follow me? Are you going to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you going to be gentle? Are you going to mourn? Are you going to, are you going to be pure in heart? Upon hearing the words of Jesus that day, the people had a decision to make either to ignore the words or to live by them, whether to build a proper structure 
one that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, or to be like a foolish builder and walk away. We have to decide if we're going to build according to code. And understand this, everyone is a builder. Everyone who is here tonight is a builder. Every one of you are building something. Hopefully you're building on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ and his teachings. You may not be, but everybody's building something. We're all either building on rock or sand. We're all either building according to code, following the divine blueprint, or ignoring the architect in favor of doing our own thing. You get back to James, and it seems that James is writing to Christians, if you've read through the entire epistle, it seems that he is writing to Christians that are pretty high on themselves. Christians that seem to think pretty highly of themselves. They thought of themselves as wise and adequate teachers. They were very critical and judgmental. They valued comfortability. They envied the wealthy and they looked down on the poor. They believed themselves to have a lot of faith and wealth of wisdom, but they, they were just full of words. They weren't ready to teach. They were eager to teach. But they were the kind of people who had a lot of opinions and ideas, but they were not very loving. They were not willing to dig in and, and do the hard work. They seemed to be content with talk and not action, which is why James reminds them, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James basically says, stop talking and start doing something. Quit running your mouth and get to work. Religion is about doing, not just about talking. And here's something else. James seems to make reference to Jesus' words concerning the parable of the sower. Remember what he said, Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 15? But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word with a good and virtuous heart and hold it firmly and produce fruit with perseverance. James is describing the word of truth and the process by which it saves. When the word of truth is implanted in our hearts, when we cultivate our hearts and receive the word implanted, it grows and it produces fruit. We experience salvation and righteousness. So when James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, he's telling his audience not to close their ears to the word of truth. He's saying, don't prevent the word of truth from doing its saving work. Like the good soil, like the wise builder, like the effectual doer, the one who humbly listens, who receives the word and then lives by it, that is the one who succeeds in living faithfully. James says, take heed these words. It's not an axiom for interpersonal relationships, although we could certainly apply it there. There's some wisdom in closing our mouths and listening before responding. However, in its proper context, James is talking about how we respond to the word of truth. And we would be wise to close our mouths, open our ears, not get angry, but listen being coachable so that we can take those words and apply them. You believe that God knows better than you do? Then listen, right? And then do. So some of you know that I was, I was born in Germany. My dad was in the service, and for the first two years of my life, I lived in Germany. And my parents decided that while we were over there, they were just going to see everything. I mean, they didn't know if they would ever get the opportunity to be there again. So I have been everywhere in Europe. And I don't remember a single bit of it. But 
growing up, my parents had these mementos, these knickknacks all over the house that they bought while they were in Europe and they displayed in our home. And one of them was the most terrifying thing that I'd ever seen. And I begged my mother to throw it in the fireplace, but she wouldn't. But it was this log that they bought somewhere. And in that log was carved a face. And the face, as I said, was terrifying. I can swear to you, the eyes in that thing followed you wherever you went in the room. And I told my mom and dad this, and they just laughed it off. But I'm telling you, the thing was demonic. I could, I could stand on one side of the room, I could move over the other, and the eyes would just follow you. And I was certain that that thing was going to rise up and kill me one day. Here's the thing. It was just a log. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't going to do anything to me. No matter how much I feared it, it was just a log. And here's my message for you tonight. Don't be a log. Don't be a log. Do something. Be a ready listener. Do you hear about that guy that decided he wanted to see his neighborhood from a different perspective? It was out in California. True story. Is the guy's name was Larry something, but he decided he wanted to see his neighborhood from a different perspective. So he went down to the Army surplus store and he got a bunch of weather balloons and tied them to his lawn chair. No joke, he seriously did this, and he was surprised when he was 11,000 feet in the air and in LAX's airspace. He thought I'd get high enough, and I, he took a BB gun with him. He'd shoot out one of the weather balloons. It would slowly descend. He'd shoot out another one until he got to the ground. Didn't work that way. After floating around the air for several hours, he was finally rescued and brought down, and, and while he got in some serious trouble, somebody asked him, so why did you do it? So you can't just sit there, you got to do something. That's an interesting perspective, but it's true, right, as Christians? you got to do something. Don't be a log. Get up and do something. It's not enough to hear God's Word. you got to act. So let's be all ears, and let's be all arms and legs. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for, so much for, for loving us, for sustaining us, for this church, for worship, we thank you so much for the price that was paid on our behalf. And God, may we show you each and every day how grateful we are by the way that we live. Not just hearing your word, but truly listening and allowing you to be the loudest voice in our lives. Seeking to make a difference in the world around us. God, thank you for this time that we have to gather. May we be a light in the world as we scatter. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. We can help you tonight. As we say every week, there's no excuse to leave here without being right with God. So if we can pray with you, if we can study the Bible with you, if you're ready to take that next step in faith, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, whatever your need is, come now as we stand and as we sing. <laughs>